0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Ilya, and I'm really happy today to have Karen Miskel-Bannon with us. And for some of you, you might know, but um, I've been studying yoga for a while, but um, most recently I met Karen, not most recently, it's probably been about four or five years now. Um, It goes fast, but uh, I did a significant portion of my teacher training with Karen, probably some 400 hours with you. So. (laughs) And some of that in India. So it was really awesome. So I'm very happy to have you here today. But um, other than me being thrilled to be able to spend this time with you, uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself and we'll be talking about polyvagal theory and talk a little bit about how we came to this conversation. But if you could just introduce yourself, that'd be great.
1: Sure. So I, let's see, I'll start kind of, I guess the beginning is a good place to start. I started practicing yoga in 1985 when I was in college and um, was lucky enough to have as my first teacher, um, you know, a pretty well-renowned Iyengar teacher, um, Eddie Modestini. And um, so that's kind of where the journey started. I also am a body worker, massage therapist. Um, I've studied different, uh, you know, studied a little bit of traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, um, and really started to dive into um, yoga philosophy. And through my massage training was introduced to Tom Myers, who talks about the fascia in the body. And so all of these different really um, new and kind of cutting edge ways of looking at the body-mind complex. And one of the things that we talk about in um, the FOSSO world is this what we call the uh, neural cardiac system. So in st- we used to dissociate all of these different systems from one another. And now we realize that, you know, they really can't operate separately. Nothing in the body operates separately. You don't just stretch your hamstrings or you know what I mean? Like everything is connected. So started getting that kind of perspective on things, you know, probably back in the late 90s, 1990s. And, um, and then I, I tripped over this um, polyvagal theory in the, I want to say it was right around maybe 2010, 9, 10, something like that. And I um, was very intrigued by it because in in our, in our my yoga teacher trainings and the trainings that I took, um, you know, anatomy was a pretty big part of it. And we... Look at the nervous system, right? Because the you know, the practices of yoga, even and at that time, really nobody realized like how these things work, they just knew that they did. So somebody with trauma would find that certain practices would help them to regulate themselves. And so my friend Suzanne Manafort, who's also the founder of Mindful Yoga Therapy, which I believe you have discussed a bit on this show
0: yes I have.
1: um and we'll give you some some more we're we're I'm actually now the program director and I'm going to be taking Yay. over as the Thank you, you
0: know, we'll the, miss we'll miss Suzanne but oh, yes she'll still be
1: there <laughs> okay <laughs> be she's going to be in charge she just won't be in charge um <laughs> and uh so when she first started this program, the Mindful Yoga Therapy, she was focusing on veterans at the VA hospital nearby where she lived in New Haven. And she was able to connect with, uh, you know, and, and your people may already know this, but she was able to connect with this, um, a professor at Yale. And they've done a lot of studies on these practices and, and, and do they work. And so, you know, rolling through time, we found, um, you know, we talk quite a lot in, in, our, in my yoga trainings and in, other, in the trainings that I've taken about this nervous system. And so that really became a, a, an interest for me, in the nervous system and the myofascial nerve, neural web, we call it. So um, really studying the interaction amongst all the different systems of the body and seeing how that affects you know, the being and the state of being and the emotional state and also, you know, the neurological state. Um,
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, so just to to pause here, I think... In my first 200 hours with you, I remember having several aha moments going, wait, this is similar to the population that I work with. It's very, it reminds me a lot, you know, uh, trauma. And, and also, I've gone down the, that interest also here on the podcast with def- different people with trauma and autism about how the body sort of takes in information and how it processes it processes it. And regardless of whether it's, you know, per I hate to say real or perceived because to the body, it's all real and it's how we interpret that, but how it creates so much dysregulation and how it creates so much, um, you know, pain in the body and all sorts of different symptoms that we can kind of pull apart but as I was and I know we had we've had several conversations about how some of these tools and strategies work but maybe not always knowing the why or the science and I know here we're we're starting to kind of get closer to that which I think is super exciting.
1: Definitely and so that's where you know I will admit that part of my journey as a yoga student has been um, you know kind of scientifically proving what yoga has always said. Right. So for me, it's not enough to just say it works. I'm like, why,
0: you know, I've got that one <laughs> mind, you know, like, well, why, how,
1: you know, that's great that it works, but how, <laughs> and is it repeatable? Cause I think at heart, mm-hmm. you know, I come from a medical family and I'm married to a scientist. I, I that scientific method is really important to me. <laughs> and, and you know, for good reason, because we're working, especially when we start talking about trauma, and I would argue, also, I agree with you. And um, so I'm going to mention a couple different names in in this podcast. And hopefully, I don't know if you have showliners or what, but we can put the books that I'm discussing Absolutely. in your yep. in your show notes. Yep. Um, but Stephen Porges is essentially the guy who came up with the idea of polyvagal theory. And basically, so I'm going to get into the the history, you know, kind of the history of the nervous system. Um, The old understanding of it, and then I'll talk a little bit about the newer understanding that's that's presented to us by polyvagal theory. Um, One of the things that's important to notice is that they don't disagree um, in terms of recognition of stress, right? So they both acknowledge that stress has an effect on the nervous system. Where they split paths is how that happens. And so the older, I'll start with the older understanding of the nervous system. And it was pretty simple, actually. It was like a seesaw. So we have parasympathetic nervous system and sympathetic nervous system. Whereas the parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for rest, digest, anything that is um, um, what we would consider to be positive neural um, experiences, right? Um, And then we have the sympathetic nervous system that... Is re- what it's really responsible for the spinal sympathetic nervous system, and I'm going to make a differentiation between that in just a second. Um, is that that's a oh um, they act like a seesaw. So in other words, the the idea was that the the fight flight freeze and and they put freeze under fight and flight, which I always found that was where I really started to try to pick this apart because. For me, freezing is not a sympathetic nervous system response. It's not. Mm. As it turns out it isn't. <laughs> as it, as it turns out it's a parasympathetic nervous system response. But that kind of that puts into play like so wait a minute, if the parasympathetic nervous system was seen as putting a break on the sympathetic nervous system. So in other words, if we had a state of sympathetic nervous system excitation, fight flight, then the parasympathetic nervous system, if we can bring up the tone of that, that brings down the excitation of the sympathetic nervous system. So it was seen like a seesaw. And polyvagal theory posits a little bit more nuanced understanding of that. So it breaks the the neural circuits. Basically, instead of there being two, there are three. Now, the spinal sympathetic chain, or the fight-flight response, is a a mammalian response, but it's also a lower order response, right? So it's other mammals and and lizards and, and turtles Right. We'll also have uh, some of uh, turtles actually don't. They do the dorsal vagus response, but um, we'll get to that. So we're pretty I think many people, especially if you've done any yoga in the last 10, 15 years, have probably heard about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. They're kind of bantered about. Um, So polyvagal theory. So first of all, let's talk about the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is also recognized in the old model of the nervous system. But notice that they call it the vagus nerve. And if you've ever heard of it, you've probably heard the vagus nerve. It's the wandering nerve. It feeds all of the organs. Well, it's actually two separate nerves. So all of the cranial nerves and the vagus is considered the 10th pair. So when we talk about the vagus nerve, we're actually talking about a pair of nerves. And that's true for all of the cranial nerves. They all come in pairs. And what we know about the vagus, that it has two actually separate Pathways, completely separate pathways. So it's not even a branch of a single nerve. They have different origins in the brainstem and they feed different parts of the body. So, what just un- understood and discovered is, and they did this in concert with different dissection techniques and actually taking apart the body and, and looking at it and seeing, okay, so we've always said, well, that, you know, the vagus. It, you know, comes from the brainstem, but, but but the two different pathways come from separate places in the brainstem. So what we're finding is that evolutionarily, we have two separate structures. So the old vagus is what we call the dorsal vagus system. And that's the lizard brain, essentially, that's the lizard response. So that takes you into the freeze response. The kind of newer evolutionary response would be the spinal sympathetic chain response, which would be the fight or flight. So you see now we've taken that fight, flight, and we've separated the freeze out because it's different. Fight or flight mobilizes you. Freeze shuts you down. So, and then governing all of it is this newer evolutionary pathway called the ventral vagus. And the ventral vagus is feeds the organs above the breathing diaphragm. So the heart, the lungs, the upper third of the esophagus and the pharynx and larynx. So vocalization is governed by the the vagus nerve. And um, the other cranial nerves all animate the face. So the vagus and the other cranial nerves are um, important when we start talking about um, facial expression and also um, one's ability to discern different sounds. In, um, it comes through these these nerves, uh, the cranial nerves and the vagus, ventral vagus in particular, are are, are governing all of that. Um, so,
0: so when you say governing, are we saying that that's how those are the, that's the nervous system by which we we take in information and process information?
1: Yes. So the ventral, but in in essence, the ventral vagus has I think it's something like eighty percent of the fibers. Um, actually in, the, in both vagus nerves, 80% of the fibers are sensory fibers and they bring information from those organs back to the brain. Only 20% go from the brain as motor nerves out to the body. So I think that's really important because when we start to talk about, for example, that gut instinct, right, that is actually a real thing. <laughs> you have Your nervous system is very highly innervated in the area of the gut and there is more information going from your gut to your brain than your brain to your gut. And now
0: if there's some sort of dysregulation in that, then that's going to have like a misfire and how your brain receives that information then? Yeah, maybe?
1: Well, um, usually it's pretty clear from the dorsal vagus to the brain what's happening. Where it becomes really interesting, I think, is that the ventral vagal system is this also happens to be the system of social engagement, which makes sense with all the facial muscles and, you know, controlling the eyeballs. So some of the exercises, which I'll get to a little bit later, involve moving just your eyeballs um, because those muscles will help to adjust the top two vertebrae of the spine that helps there to be a free flow of information. So it's really, really interesting. So basically if we were to, let's start, if we start with a model of health and not I, and by this, I don't mean that anything that presents um, otherwise is bad or wrong. It, it, like you said, it's offline. So if everything's good, and you grew up in a family where, and what we've learned too is that there, the the same things that in mindful yoga therapy we talk about creating safety, predictability, and control, it just so happens that those three things are also the things that help to create ventral vagal tone. Right? You cannot if you're not feeling safe. In your environment or if you grew up with somebody who was a little had a flat affect or you didn't have as much social inter- interaction and engagement or you were just a child who didn't really you know my daughter was not uh you know she didn't want to go to nursery school right so the, the low voice voices and all that kind of really scared her so you know different children are going to be really different in how they present but um the the idea is that the the social engagement network is the exact same network that um, feeds the ventral, the, the heart, the lungs, and the vocal network. And so what happens is any person, whether they've got a, a toned nervous system or not, so a dysregulated nervous system, so suffering from anxiety or depression, and we'll talk about exactly where those fall along these three axes, um, the ventral vagus If something happens to you, like there's a loud noise or something behind you, if you have a socially engaged ventral vagus and your and your resilience is strong, which means that you've had, um, you know, that the the auditory stimulation and those things don't bother you, we'll just say that, Um, then if something happens, your ventral vagus is able to process and say, okay, is this something I need to actually run away from? Do I need to mobilize? Or is this something that I just need to, you know, turn around and walk the other way? Now, if the body or the autonomic nervous system, which is so all of this is describing the autonomic nervous system, which back in the old days, we thought just moved, worked automatically and there was no, no way to change it. Right. And I mean, we also used to think that brain cells couldn't be regenerated, which we now know is completely not true. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, That in this state of positive social engagement, um that helps, helps you to control the next uh, sequence of events. So somebody who's got a very, like, again, a toned, um, I'll say online ventral vagus complex, we call it, um, is going to be able to discern very easily whether something is truly dangerous or not. If the body decides that it's dangerous, it has two options. And usually it goes in a cascade. So usually what will happen is the the first response will be fight flight. And if that solves the problem, then all is well. And you go back and you can re-put the ventral vagus back online relatively easily. If that doesn't solve the problem, or for some people they just bypass that state completely and they go completely into the freeze, which is the dorsal vagal network what we call the dorsal vagal complex, um, which is responsible for slowing things down and, and completely shutting them off. It can actually take your heart offline completely. So it takes all of the the, the nerves that go to the organs and it has the ability to completely shut it down. Um, an example of this would be if you've ever seen a cat grab a mouse and mm-hmm. the mouse just goes limp and mm. like the cat doesn't want to play with a dead animal. So it drops it and then the mouse scurries <laughs> away, right? So that mouse has, has put its dorsal vagus system online to survive, right? So these are all survival tools. And like I said, they are, it's a hierarchy. So we have the ventral vagus and then we have the spinal sympathetic chain and then we have the dorsal vagus system. Um, and resilience is created in the ventral vagus complex, and so there are, like I said, all of these nerves that animate the face and the, the muscles of the face and the larynx and the pharynx um, are part of that ventral vagus circuit. So as we know from our yoga practices, right? you can eat, you can go both ways right? the, the practices are going to affect the nervous system and the nervous system is going to affect the practices. Um, and the more practices you do and the more consistent you are with them. The more resilient a nervous system you create, that's just that's um, indicated by a lot of different research. So yoga practices do work. Some of them, certain types Mm -hmm. of yoga practices work. Right, And it really depends on the person too, because different practices are going to be as appropriate for different types of people. Um, So, do you understand? Was that pretty clear? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I questions?
0: think, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to you and we talk about autism, as far as a, a diagnostic, um, you know, thing, um, it's, it's a social communication, um, right. Like challenge. And so when, when you're talking to me about like the whole, you know, the, the cranial nerves and the throat, this whole upper part of social, you know, connection and social engagement, it, it kind of like connects. I'm like, Oh, they're, there's something there. Like, I don't know if we know what that is, but definitely the, if there's a challenge in, um, in social communication, that's all of that part. Right. So we would exactly. say, you know, and then, and then I wonder, and I, I know you said you, we would get to it, but this also connection to anxiety and depression, which is very common in, you know, in our population. Um, you know, I, I would say, so what, what is that connection as far as taking in information either from the social world or from, you know, just our body senses and I also think, I know so many things running through my head, but I know we've talked about that interoception piece, which is, you know, how we sense the different organs in our body and how do we know when we're hungry? How do we know when we're full? How do we know if we have to use the bathroom? You know, those types of things, those are all very primal things, but sometimes um, in our community, it, those messages are not always accurate, right? And I think you mentioned yes. it before, right? Like sometimes if if you have a well-toned um, nervous system, um, then you, you kind Kind of know how to accurately discern what is accurate and what is not, and what's real and what's not. But I think many of us, regardless of what diagnosis we put on people, have not had that toned and developed as well as we would have liked. So, um so I think this is relevant for uh, for like a lot of people, if not everybody.
1: Absolutely, if not everybody, right now, because you know, with the pandemic, we've lost our social engagement. Right, we, we're online. But we've lost that, in you know, interpersonal relationship, which I'll go out on a limb here. I think that, you know, the people that we see, you know, on airplanes melting down and, you know, the anger and, you know, this the, the violence that's coming. People are stuck in the spinal sympathetic chain. So basically what we do, we can look at this as, you know, so and, and what's fascinating, too, and Porges and this guy's um, it's the other book I'm going to recommend to you is. Uh, by Stanley Rosenberg, and the foreword is by Stephen Porges. But he, um, Stanley Rosenberg, wrote a book called "Accessing the Healing Power of the Vagus Nerve," and um, I'll give you all the information for it. But um, he and Porges both notice um, that traumatized populations and autistic populations present with the same sets of problems in terms of processing information. So essentially, what's happened is when, especially. So only tw- like when we send young people off to war, 22 percent of them come back with post-traumatic stress. And I'm not even going to call it a disorder because it's not a disorder. It's the nervous system doing its level best to protect <laughs> the, be- the body, the, you know, the body mind. Right, and so, right. I, you know, and I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, wow, that is so amazing that your body's doing that for you. And now let's let's see if we can move it, move it along. Right. So basically, it gets stuck either in the sympathetic response or in the dorsal response. So The dorsal vagal response will be responsible for depressive states. And I like to use depressive states because I'm not a diagnostician. I'm a yoga teacher and a massage therapist. I'm not a doctor, but I can recognize a depressive state. I don't have to have a diagnosis of depression to understand that that's a depressive state. And I've experienced it myself, so I know what it feels like. And that you're stuck in the dorsal vagus. And so what we found is that these different practices, and it just so happens that Mindful Yoga Therapy includes many of them, bring tone back to the ventral vagus system. So help to enable people to bring that vagus uh, social engagement system back online. And and, uh, they're weed whacking outside my window. I'm sorry. I hope you can hear that. It's Um, fine. Okay. (laughs) Um, So essentially, yeah, essentially both, um, you know, people on the spectrum and people who've experienced trauma and get stuck in one of those two places, um, there's so much that can be done which is where I think it's great. You know, it's like, okay, so now we understand a little bit how that works. Now what can we do to help people?
0: Yeah, yeah, and definitely.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, the the one thing that I'll say that Mindful Yoga Therapy, we have our toolbox that we use, all of the tools. Um, there's, you know, creating a safe space, uh, providing a predictable experience, and ultimately allowing the person to decide whether they do it or not. Right. So giving control back to whoever the the student is. And, you know, we have stories of people who so mindful yoga therapy has been done in many different formats, but the original format was in a 12 week residential um, PTSD program. And so they would come into the yoga studio two times a week and do this practice with Suzanne. And she said that many times there'd be a guy who'd stand there for the first three weeks with his arms crossed and, and just not, she said, all you have to do is show up. You don't have to do anything. But pretty much everybody would eventually start to play along and start to practice. Cause they'd see their friends benefiting and they, they'd realize that like, okay, this isn't that scary or weird. Um, you know, I think the Vietnam that area had era had a, a difficult time sometimes with yoga because, you know, they were traumatized by that part of the world. And, um, you know, fairly or unfairly attributed yoga to that, that kind of space. So, but eventually, if, you know, if we could get them to participate, the practices worked. Um, we use yoga nidra. Gratitude is a big part of it, as you know. Um, meditation. Mindful movement. So what's interesting about the mindful movement portion of it is that that works really well for people who are stuck in the dorsal vagal, so very depressed. There's another way to approach it, though, that that activates the sympathetic spinal chain in a positive way. So one of the things that I want to point out, too, is that we have these three neural circuits, but there are also two hybrid circuits. And this is one thing that the old model of the nervous system did not address at all, which is basically we have places and times where the sympathetic nervous system is activated, but it's not in a, in a bad way. So for example, competitive sports, right. And what keeps a competitive sport, a sport and not a violent brawl is the fact that people make eye contact with each other. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like, then there's a famous uh, Porges I think points it out, or, or maybe it was Rosenberg who talks about this famous clip between Larry Bird and Dr. J in a game. And, you know, they got into this huge brawl because Dr. J like gave an elbow and walked away and then Bird went after him. So if, if he'd turned around and made eye contact with him it wouldn't have happened. Right? So so um, competitive sports is an example of the of, of a hybrid between the spinal sympathetic chain and the ventral vagus. And then the other one that's a hybrid circuit is the dorsal vagus and the ventral vagus in a in a setting of what we'll call so we'll call that sports model the one of um let's see hang on i wrote it down here where's my hybrid um it's a mobilized without fear right Mm -hmm. so mobilization with fear would be the spinal sympathetic fight flight mobilization without fear is that the the ventral vagus is online Mm
0: -hmm. so we got
1: the ventral vagus online and the sympathetic chain is activated. And we have that place where we we can be active um, and mobilized without fear. Mm -hmm. And then the dorsal vagus hybrid with the ventral vagus is the state of meditation or intimacy. So it's immobilization without fear. And the old model Mm. of the nervous system didn't address either of those states, which I think is a big deal. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, no. And, and you know, it's funny because sometimes, you know, again, and we've had our conversations about social media, but there's so much social media out there about, um, you know, having that flame behind you and having that uh you know that motivation and and it's one thing to say it in terms like that but i think you know when they say things like that i think it's exactly what you're talking about here which is this state or the state of flow that's another one right mm-hmm. but i think it's it's when we have both of those things engaged um properly then it then it works really well and i think it creates an and People probably have had that moment of feeling like, yeah, I'm like energized and I'm, I've got that, you know, thing under me and I feel focused. And if, but it also brings me to a place of like joy, like I'm in yes. this place of joy. Whereas if it's all under this, you have that same like fire under your under your ass right there, and you're still feeling like, oh no, I, I'm, I'm really in a place of fear. Yeah. It can feel so subtle, and we can use the same terminology, but it can be so different. And it, you know, one is a place of encouragement and support and moving and and positive movement, where the other one can just bring you back down to that shutdown, I would imagine, too.
1: Yes. And like I said before, it is hierarchical, but you can also skip steps, right? So you can go directly from ventral vagus to dorsal. You can also go directly from dorsal back to ventral. You don't have to go through that sympathetic um, response activation, right? So it is possible to, to take both of them offline quickly. And, and like I said, the good news is, and what I find just so encouraging, is that, that we have some pretty simple tools to help to bring back this tone of the ventral vagus. Um, And And I'm
0: I'm all about tools and strategies. Absolutely. You know, because all
1: of this is very interesting, but if it doesn't lead to some sort of, you know, positive usefulness, then it's just an exercise in, you know, thought. So, um, so just, we'll get back to some of the tools. Do you have any other questions about it? Was I clear in, in explaining all of that?
0: Um, Yeah, no, I think it's super clear. And I think um, definitely putting in some resources. I know many of our listeners will probably want to do some more research and find out more about, you know, this, all this concept and just, you know, I too was new to this. I know we were just you're great. You like sending me books. How about this book? You should check this one out. You should check this out. And so I do have, um, you know, Stanley Rosenberg's book is right here with me now. Oh, cool. um, but yeah, I just started going into YouTube, honestly, and finding uh-huh. and there's some really good videos, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes on just the same concept broken down as well. Um, and I just think people would love to just kind of go down and find more information. But for those who are like, okay, this is a lot already. <laughs> so yeah, uh-huh you know, what, like you said, what do I, what do I do now? So how can I make this useful for me today? Um, you know, or tomorrow kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the tools that, that Porges uses now Porges is a, uh, like a psychotherapist, like he's a mind guy. Um, Stanley Rosenberg's a craniosacral body guy, right? So, um, Porges main or one of his main treatment kind of protocols is called the listening project protocol and essentially what he they do in a ther- in a psychotherapeutic setting is they make they'll put like earphones on the the patient the client and um get rid of any low vibration sound. so the lower the vibrate the vibratory sound the more mimicking it is of the predator so in the in the autonomic autonomic nervous system and we're going back to you know when we were lizard form (laughs) right if it gets a signal in um it's going to react immediately and and autonomically and so in the in in the presence of what that ventral vagal tone um it's able to different the middle ear the muscles of the middle ear actually have to be toned in order for you to hear the human voice which is fascinating when you to start to and also to be you know and and it's this part of the face right here where when people are depressed, they lose the facial muscles are not as expressive in, right, so you're, you're the, yeah, yeah, so you're showing that yeah, so you're showing like exactly. like the
0: eye, like like if you took your. Uh, like a circle with your hands and your fingers around like your eyebrow to your like under your lower lip and that,
1: that, that includes the eyes, the nose and and the cheeks, right? The facial muscles. So, so, if when that's not online and we don't have when the those nerves and you can exhaust those nerves pretty easily, right? Especially if they're not toned. So not just the nerves, but the little muscles in the inner ear can get fatigued really quickly. So he reported that people who were doing this project, you know, in, involved in this listening project, you know, after listening to an hour would find themselves just exhausted. I don't know if that's ever happened to you in a yoga training where it's like <laughs> you just had so much information come in and you're just that's your middle ear. Just say I've had yeah. enough. The muscles of your <laughs> middle ear are just like, nah, I'm tired. <laughs> and so then what happens is you lose the ability to discern the human voice. And all you can hear are the lower vibrational sounds that indicate predator. And so that's going to affect the autonomic nervous system and, and you know, bring online either the sympathetic response or the dorsal vagal response also. So it really is a matter of, of, creating and maintaining this you know and i love to call it fascial fitness in a way right because you know because you've been in a yoga room with me forever um (laughs) that the fascia is such an important and again we talk about the neuromyofascial web and you know it's it's Everything is connected. The, the fascia in the body is one continuous sheet of connective tissue and it, it is pervasive. It wraps every structure. It, it creates the form of the body. It creates the form of all the organs, of all the vessels, right? And so if there's a place that's kind of offline, that means that there's a disconnect in that body-mind fabric. And again, the good news is, is that with simple exercises, we can bring that back online and create it if it's, it's if it's missing. So I think, you know, and again, I'm not a diagnostician, but it's, it seems to be that people who come in on the spectrum come in with these sort of learning, dis- I mean, not learning, but hearing, listening disability in terms of their middle ear muscles aren't functioning as a result of those nerve pathways not being um, activated.
0: Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm also thinking in addition to um, sort of a trauma response where people dissociate from their current place. And I know I'm just going to speak from my own experience, something that happens to me when I'm in a room with a lot of people and sometimes, like you're saying, like this, a lot of talking or maybe there's just a lot of buzz in the room. I do feel that shutdown. I do feel like I kind of separate myself from the rest of the room. And it almost feels like the Charlie Brown adults talking where there's just, mm, 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 I don't hear, I don't really understand the words, but I know there's words there. And I almost feel like a physical removal. But then what my body does is it's looking for perceived threat, right? So it becomes hyper, hyper vigilant. And, um, you know, those are things I personally am working on. But part of my doing like the mindful yoga therapy and training with you and just going to regular therapy, all that stuff is to help, you know, first recognize that that's actually happening, which I can do that better now and not feel like I can totally have to remove myself and, and enlist tools to help stay engaged. And as I say that now I'm starting to connect to, you know, the conversation we're having here, which is I'm kind of, and I, I don't know the terms really well. So what, what area would I be Engaging as I start to use tools, whether it's like tapping or whether it's um, uh, you know maybe I keep a bracelet on me that reminds me to kind of stay engaged and stay present what am I what am I kind of turning you know what am I bringing back online by doing that
1: by doing all of those things you're bringing back online the ventral vagal network and complex we okay. call it yep yep and yep. and again when we are present- so I, I also find it just fascinating so that, that the low um, you know the lower tones or what we'll call a lack of prosody in someone's Mm -hmm. voice. So for somebody who has a very flat, like (laughs) we we like to pick on professors because, you know, y'all had those (laughs) teachers if you went to university who just stood up there and lectured and you'd fall asleep within five minutes. (laughs) Well, that's because they have no prosody. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're actually, they're literally sending you into a dorsal vagal (laughs) collapse. And you just go offline and fall asleep, right? Shut down. Um, whereas if somebody who's talking to you is really interested in their material and they're just so excited and their voice changes and it's not necessarily volume, but it's like inflection. And, you know, when you talk to a a small animal or a baby, Oh, you know what I mean? And all of those things are designed to bring that ventral vagal complex online. And and every time we reinforce a neural pathway, it becomes stronger. That works both ways. Right. We know that if we reinforce the the stress response, we're going to take that pathway because that's the pathway that the brain knows. So and in the yoga textbooks, it's so cool. You know, both the sutras and the Pradipika and and some of the other Hatha yoga texts, they do talk about replacing what they call bad habits. um, But, you know, I would argue maybe unhelpful patterns with Mm -hmm. helpful patterns right you Mm -hmm. replace the the not helpful with the helpful and the more you practice the helpful eventually it'll override that other pathway and that is true as you know in in talk therapy it works the same way right we use emdr we use Mm -hmm. these sort of body somatic based explorations to bring uh the body back online and and that actually brings me to a really 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 important component of all of it is that the as you know, especially if any of you are, are teachers or, or therapists, and if you're a therapist, I assume you already know this, but as teachers, and nowadays, you know, I think everybody needs to be um, experienced with trauma, because mm-hmm. so many people have had pretty serious trauma. And the nervous systems, like I said, all those people on those airplanes, they're all stuck in that spinal sympathetic chain response, their nervous system can't do anything else. So we can look at them and think they're, you know, what the heck, you know, why is this happening? No, it's, they, they're literally stuck in, you know, running away from the Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, if, yeah. and if they're the type of, you know, nervous system that fights instead of runs away, this is what's happening. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. No, <laughs> totally makes sense. And I think yeah. what we might, you know, whether you're a, an educator or parents probably see this too with their kids and students, it's, you know, you have your kids who either shut down, you know, when they're, when they're with all of the change, especially in the last couple of years. Um, and also, you know, at home, you know, they either shut down or you have outbursts. And we, we we say, you know, we could call it a meltdown. We could say there's sudden outbursts or there's violent behavior. And we, we just call, you know, I know we're shifting this language, thank goodness, but we call them behaviors, right? We say, oh, that kid has behaviors. Um, but but yeah, they are behaviors, that's a very good observational term, but the why behind it is super important. It's not that they're just misbehaving, which I don't like, you know, there's a reasons behind it. And a lot of, now as I'm, as we're talking, that connection is super clear. And I think we kind of always knew we would use terms like overstimulated or, you know, they can't process all the information or sensory overload. And and I think those are just really big generic terms for what we might see is actually happening, You know in this in this theory that we're talking about right now and it it, to me it totally makes sense
1: and the most important thing that we can do as both you know as practitioners and parents and teachers is to create and provide a safe space because all the work that you do you, you know you can move your eyeballs all you want and do all the yoga you want if you're not feeling safe then the nervous system is not going to come back online right you're gonna still be stuck there um it just it 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 won't work. You have we have to provide them with a feeling of safety, and some of the ways of doing that for um, you know for autistic children. Or I would actually I do this for myself. So I have had PTSD, um, and I find it very difficult for myself to go into big groups of people that are loud. Right. I put earplugs in. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I've learned to create a safe space for myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and in that way, my nervous system can handle whatever's happening. And it's so we need so and so we can do that as parents, like by putting earphones on children and dead, you know, getting rid of some of that extraneous noise, because that can be terribly distracting to somebody who's already struggling to to make sense of the world. Um, you know, create and as as, for example, as yoga teachers, we talk about this in the mindful yoga therapy trainings, creating a safe environment. So setting up the room in a special way so that the door is being, you know, they can see the door so they know they're safe, that nobody's going to do anything they don't understand. You're not going to get off your mat. You're not going to touch them. You're going to tell them, oh, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to just turn the heat down. It's a little warm here. You know what I mean? Everything is predictable and controlled so we offer a, not the exact same practice every single day but a very similar one variations on a theme so that they know what to expect and that way that ventral vagus can start to come back online
0: right so i'm going to pause you right here because i yeah. think you're hitting a really critical point here for educators and for parents and for adults who are you know learning to do this for themselves um, we talk about routine being really helpful for those on spectrum we talk about creating predictable routines right predictable spaces and here i'm now making the connection as to why right again not not just that we don't want too many colorful things on the wall or we don't you know but but actually Giving people, I know you're probably, this will probably be your next thing and I'm just going to automatically say it is giving people the sense of control back, right? So that they, they know, okay, every time I walk into this classroom or into my bedroom or into my home, that I know that. Everything should be in the this general space. Um, you know, usually my class day goes like this, you know, like there's a schedule and maybe it changes Monday and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays, but at least I, someone's walked me through it. And and your, your example about turning down the heat is what, you know, in education we would call previewing, right, where we kind of preview what could happen during the day or what changes might be happening um, so that it gives the individual a sense of understanding and control and and if it's not something that we predicted then it's still some more information to know what is actually happening right now and i think that's so important
1: oh uh, yeah it is it's it really is because again you know you can do all the exercises you want if it's not done with a sense of safety then that ventral vagus circuit is going to stay offline because the two lower hierarchical states which are evolutionarily older are going to just come online automatically. Um, so that is, I think that's, you know, one of the, the biggest things is, and also that safety is not simply the absence of threat, right? Porges points this out in his book. And by the way, his book, the one I'm going to recommend is the pocket guide to the polyvagal theory. <laughs> um, and even that <laughs> is—I heard it's a, a bit,
0: bit dense, dense. right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. I mean, and i, I mean, I—I I took a look at the original polyvagal theory book when it first came out. A friend of mine had it, and I was just like, "I'm not a neuroscientist; I can't read this." Then he came out with a pocket guide, and I was like, Hoo! awesome. And then I read it and I'm just like, okay, I still have to go back and like, what does he just say? And look up all the words. <laughs> Whereas Rosenberg's book is a bit more user friendly. It's, it's, he's a body worker. It's much more somatic based and he breaks it down and explains it in, in, in very plain English words without a lot of um, kind of what I will call psychological you know, um, vocabulary, right? You don't have to be a, 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 a psychiatrist to be able to read Rosenberg's book. It would help if you were to read The Polyvagal Pocket Guide. But that said, it's, it's an, actually The Polyvagal Pocket, The Pocket Guide is an interview with him and um, a, a very famous, um, well, it's a series, there's, there's the book and then there's a series of interviews with him. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but I think it's Buczynski. Um, Her name, uh, she's a, she's a famous trauma therapist who's worked with Porges. Um, So yeah, creating that sense of safety. And again, safety is not as being a a pro social thing, not just, okay, there's no threat, there's no IED here. Mm -hmm. So everything's good. <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> and by the way, that whole idea of what happens at the level of the nervous system when one, is, when one has been in that situation where there's an IED, right? The trash can blew up and you come home and now all the trash cans are going to blow up, right? That's again, you're stuck in, a, in, the, in that place of, depending on where you are, the spinal sympathetic um, reaction or the dorsal vagal reaction. For most people, we'll see that dorsal vagal reaction where they'll shut down. Um, but some people will go on the aggressive, right? So, um, you know, we have an unfortunately high number of of military, with you know, who have uh, who commit suicide, um, you know, who who join these groups like the Three Percenters, and you know, I mean, I, for me, that feels like we have sent these young people over to these unimaginable circumstances before their prefrontal cortex is completely developed. So we are creating these brains that do not know how to go offline. And so then they come back and they're still seeking that same, you know, that same feedback into their nervous system to get them juiced up to go and do the thing, whatever the thing is. Um, So I think this work is vitally important, really honestly, I'm not going to get a little heavy here for the sake of our democracy, right? We need to get people to be able to deal with their stress and deal with their discomfort in a way that's not, and you know, completely antisocial,
0: not just dis- or destructive, right? <laughs> or destructive, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, that's that's partly the work with um, mindful yoga therapy that made me just connect so much because a lot of the you know when you say about going going out when you you have young people who are in school situations or they're in home situations or the world just seems very unsafe and maybe things that you and i would feel should be fine and like you said there's no perceived threat we don't see something immediately um can be interpreted that way as a real threat and then if that's reinforced over time over time as they become adults right You know, maybe there were a lot of supports in school if they were lucky enough to have that. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, then the supports move to the side as they become adults. Then it becomes, oh, wait, I don't even know how to manage that. I have this underdeveloped sense of how to perceive the world and. Um, you know, I think this kind of work is super important because I think it can help bring that back. And again, we also have, you know, high anxiety, high depression, high suicide rate in our community as well. So again, it is, and and young people in general are dealing with a lot of stress and um and there's so much and, you know, more information that, that, now. that
1: movement, just i mean, and and you know the the suicide component is just so tragic, right? I mean, obviously, for obvious reasons, but also because there's something we could do about it, you know, for for these people. It's like they are they are stuck in that sympathetic response, which is one of action and mobilization with fear, which I think that you know that 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 call for help essentially that's being made um. You know, it's it, it's it's just tragic, and it's but you know, it's it's our military, and like you said, in the uh, autism spectrum community, there's you know, we're very at high risk.
0: Yeah, um, and and in addition to that, it could be. I was just thinking we're talking about, you know, I'm thinking impulsivity and you know, addiction and whether you know, whatever form of addiction we could insert it there, um, also is another way for sort of either creating, a, you know, heightened sensations or for dumbing down, right? Some of the sensations that are uncomfortable. Um, so yeah. being able to deal with it <laughs> would be in an, in a more constructive way would be a really great, um, you know, absolutely. Be because, again, and you
1: can look at addiction in the same way, you know, that that's the, that's the being and the, the mind, the, 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 the body, the mind, um, trying to do something to stop the pain. It's just not the right thing to do, <laughs> right? But it's an inte- you know, it's not. So I, I really love to get away from this idea of, you know, um, addiction and alcoholics is, you know, um, I, let me back. I, I think that falling off the wagon is part of the process and that, you know, it's not an indication that you're a moral failure. It's just, this is, this is hard to do, you know, it's hard to rewire the brain. It's hard and it's not right. I think it's hard when it's a habit like that. And one of the interesting things about the, in the nervous system about that one is that, you know, they've done studies on people who've been sober for X amount of time and then they fall off the wagon. And they all report that it's the decision to do something different that gives them the high. It's not even the substance. So there's a there's a book called The Heart of Addiction where he talks about his he he treats patients really differently than the AA model. And this is a mm-hmm. totally different. I know I'm on a big yeah yeah here, but, no that's but funny. I think it's relevant because they you know it crosses over. right? Yep. Addiction is definitely something that people use to you know to to try and calm, you know calm down the nervous system. And what I'm saying is that you know that's that's great, but that's not the exact tool you want to use. Let's try a different tool. Let's do something. Just not that, <laughs> right? Right. right, right. <laughs> but it's fascinating that at the level of the nervous system, that the reward center is is activated at the time one makes the decision to act, and not when you actually take whatever substance it is or do whatever behavior it is. Because for some people, it's like exercise or workaholic or you know whatever it is your thing. It's when you make that choice to do that that the, that you get the hit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, no, the, the that's a, that's. Yeah, exactly. So, so as we, you know, as we're moving here, can, can you give us a couple of uh, um, ways that people can, you know, we talked about creating a safe space, but other exercises that we can do to kind of um, help start bringing that back online for us?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of the tools that I use pretty regularly myself to, to bring my bring me back because, you know, and this is not I mean, we're talking about the autism community, but, you know, everybody's going to have a moment where, you know, you feel unsafe or maybe you're in a new environment and you just feel a little bit dysregulated and they, these tools will help with that. Um, so one of the things I do, you know, me, I, 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 I am a big student right now of mantra yoga and nada yoga. And so this is, for those of you who don't know, the yoga of sound and vibration. And um, Sanskrit has its whole system of basically every single letter in the Sanskrit alphabet stimulates a very specific um, neural pathway in the body. So the repetition of the sacred sounds actually has a very profound effect on the being. And they've done studies that compare... Mantra to just gibberish and the mantra is more effective. So for what that's worth,
0: um, humming
1: is something that can be really helpful. Even, you know, closing your ears and just. mm, And, you know, for us in yoga, we would probably say, oh, Um, I think it's interesting to point out that you might want to try to hit a little higher note, like a C or up as opposed to going low, because those lower tones are, again, the sound of the predator. So when we look at a lot of the, and and you you came to India with me and did the Know Your Rhythm 100-hour um, training that we did there, which is super fun, um, but we got to work with um, my friend Arnab uh, and colleague Arnab Chaudhry who created this program called Know Your Rhythm, and he works primarily with um, disabled children at a local hospital in Pondicherry, India, and he uses ragas, he uses uh, traditional classical Indian music, and he creates, he's, he creates lots of different music, but it's always with a therapeutic intent. And he's found that, you know, that he's actually done studies and had them published and, um, you know, that show that kids with autism and um, other disabilities in these children's hospitals that they have in India um, are very um, responsive to this healing music. And um so, but for, you know, if you're not into yoga, that's not your thing. You don't want to hum OM, you know, just humming, just any kind of humming is going to really, it's going to bring you right back. Because again, we get the throat vibrating, right? The pharynx and the larynx vibrating, and um, that's going to help to reset that ventral vagal complex. So that, that's one thing you can do. The other is deep breathing. Right. So the, and you're going to say, Oh, well, but these are all things we do at a yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> right. So, um, well, honestly
0: only some yoga classes, there are some where yes. you show up and these are not practices that are, it's, it's very focused on the postures and the movement and not, and not, and that's not, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's only a piece of the puzzle.
1: It's a piece of the puzzle. And actually I would make the argument for that type of yoga. Um, Is going to work and the reason that works for some people so we have a fair amount of um, guys i say guys because they were just men at the time who went through with the mindful yoga therapy program and then like two years in we're like i want more you know and they really gravitated to the Shtanga vinyasa practice well that's a mobilization of the sympathetic nervous system with vagal control right so and we refer to the vagal break And what the vagal break is, is the ability of that ventral vagus nerve to control the heart rate variability. And what we do know about heart rate variability is the difference between the beats of the heart on the inhale and the exhale. And these practices also, and and breathing in particular, uh, can help us to apply that vagal break, which is what regulates the, the entire nervous system. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: And heart, low heart rate variability has been linked with several different cardiac and other diseases. And um, that heart rate variability could be seen as the nervous system's ability to switch gears. So if we have high heart rate variability, that's a good thing. Low heart rate variability, not so great. And again, these practices are going to create that tone and create that um, you know, more variable heart rate, which is a sign of health. And I find it also interesting is that the the vagus the ventral vagus complex, right the is the the nerve that feeds the heart, lungs, upper, third of the esophagus, et cetera, um is also the exact same pathway for that social engagement system. They're the same exact pathways. Um, so that I think that's that's just pretty cool. So the slow breathing, right? the you know and and I'm not a fan of trying to lengthen the exhale prematurely. But right, I think that first we need to just get a nice, even, slow breath in and out through your nose with no control, no pausing, just a smooth inhale and exhale. Um, and that can that can reset the nervous system. Um, So we've got vocalization, we've got breathing, mindful movement. Um, So, again, we were talking about how well a might not be the place you want to jump into, eventually it might be that place that you get to. So running is also the same thing. You know, it's, it's sympathetic nervous system with vagal break. And so, but, but at the beginning, we want to do slow, mindful movement, right? And, um, and internally focused. So not looking around the room at everybody else, but experiencing your own self. And that's where we get into that interoceptive ability because the other thing that happens when we are under stress like that when we're having a a, a stress response or a, a stress response has been triggered is that we lose that ability. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So now it also makes me think of when people talk about, you know, well, just walking, the act of walking can be such a um, a powerful experience, right? We talk about, oh, I'm going to I want to get into an exercise practice, and we automatically jump to these very, um, you know, like significant—I would say—big things. You know, whether it's running or whether it's maybe it is a—you know—I'm going to go to yoga every day, or I'm going right. you know, to. Meanwhile, we can just start with walking. Yeah,
1: yeah, and honestly, I'll be honest. But yes, mindful walking, and I think you know, honestly, that we are such a culture of like go to the most difficult way to get there <laughs> first, because somehow that. I don't know what that does for us, but it makes us feel better about ourselves. If we can, you know, as a beginner, as a beginner, I can you know jump into the third series of Shwanga. Look at me. It's like, oh, you know, all right, I guess. But it, it would be much more effective if we would build it step by step, and you know, start at the beginning, right? Um, so that Tai Chi is also something that's been um, very useful in bringing that ventral vagus tone and bringing that back online. Um, and, yeah, like I said, especially in a yoga class, creating safety, predictability and control um, and the practice of gratitude, you know, pausing every day, maybe several times a day. And just, you know, even in the middle of whatever, um, you know, a horrible thing is happening, if something is happening and just is there something you can be grateful for? Just just something right now in this moment. Maybe it's the next breath. Maybe it's the fact that the sun is shining. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so just find taking that time is very powerful because it puts you in a positive state. Uh, and and so that's, that's also a quite uh, a powerful um, tool that we can use.
0: Yeah, um, no, I think, I think these are great. And I think this gives people, um, you know, a, a good start to think about. And so if people wanted to get more information, because I know we're kind of coming up on our time here, yeah. um, we could probably, you know, figure out something else that we could probably talk about to kind of expand oh, on sure. this. I think that yeah. would be fun. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um-
1: to be i i as i said i've been i'm involved now much more with mindful yoga therapy so i am merging my kmb yoga with mindful yoga therapy i'm going to be offering a workshop on this polyvagal work um in the next month um so if you want we have quite a few new resources on our youtube channel at mindful yoga therapy um so what let's see suzanne was telling me um Click, subscribe, and share. Okay. <laughs> That's what <yeah>. to say. <laughs> so totally. Click, subscribe, <laughs> and share. Um, and you know we have everything from Asana practices to some breath work to you know, and some of them are five minutes long, some of them are forty five minutes long. So there's just a huge, and we're going to be releasing more and more. Um, we got a grant to to fill out our flesh out our YouTube channel. So we're going to be producing more and more little videos with practices. Um, and like I said, I'm going to be doing a workshop through mindful yoga therapy on the polyvagal work and, and postures that we can do. So there's there's all sorts of and I it just I would share them with you, but you really need to be able to see me. Sure, so sure. I, I don't want to hand out a tool that's not as useful as it could be. Um, yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah. So if you're interested in this, you can, you know, get a hold of me, um, contact me uh, um I'm at um Karen at KmBYoga.com or through mindfulyogatherapy.org. Um, and yeah, go over to our YouTube channel and check it out. And, um, you've been there, you know what it's yes. like.
0: Yeah, no, I've been, um, <laughs> and I've been in your, your classes as well. I think you use teachable, right? And so that's, yes. um, yeah. So that's been the, the very easy to navigate. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely. So cool. I, I will probably be checking some of that stuff out myself. And-
1: yeah. And I'm going to be teaching in the hundred hour training that we're, um, offering starting, and I think it's in May. Um. I should really know that. But we've switched the dates so many times I can't keep it straight. <laughs> but it's all on the Mindful Yoga Therapy website. And um, so I'm going to be much more of a teaching presence in the Mindful Yoga Therapy um, classes these days. I'm so excited. Um, and we're going to have a Yoga Nidra training also. Yoga Nidra is also one of the really, really effective tools that Suzanne and, and the Mindful Yoga Therapy team have implemented for people. And if you're not familiar with that, I'll just quickly, its a it's a guided type of meditation. That, that people have found to be profoundly helpful in, in treating symptoms of PTS. And I have to think that, you know, uh, for uh, have you done any? Um, of I've the, done you, a little do bit with, with your kids. Well, mm-hmm. um,
0: with my with with actually this audience, I actually have done something. but It was seriously like two years ago. So, um, you know, they can probably find some of that on my uh, Instagram and okay. YouTube, but definitely Karen, uh, not Karen's, that would be you. Um, you have other ones, but, um, <laughs> but Suzanne also has, uh, I've given people the link to Suzanne's on Yeah, the YouTube absolutely. Channel, on so. the, and,
1: and she's got it on YouTube. And I think they even just auto- offered as an audio download at the Mindful Yoga Therapy site. I'm not I, ah, I, okay. I'm not sure they used to, um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if they took that offline or not, but it's definitely on YouTube.
0: Yeah, so no, then, I will put all of that in contact information, all of those uh, links to resources in the description of this podcast, so people can find out more and definitely check you out. And yeah, um, and I'm
1: on Instagram yeah. at KMB Yoga. So if you mm-hmm. want to check me out, I was off for like a year and a half and. And now with the mindful yoga therapy, I have to come back on. It was a nice break. And I'll be honest, I I just got so frustrated during the pandemic with all of the kind of politics of it, but also with the fact that I lived up in a part of the country (laughs) in California that had no internet. And so I would have to go stand out in somebody's garage driveway and hold my phone up and try to upload, a not even like a video, but just like upload a picture. So I was just Mm -hmm. like over it. Now I'm living in a place where I have internet, so it's all good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Less frustrating, which is (laughs) good.
1: Exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ilya. It's so lovely to see you again. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And I'm I'm excited to have uh, spent this time with you. And I look forward to doing future work with you. So that'll be fun.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: You too.
0: Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next
1: time.